0: Of uh, official information, uh, how old is Mr. Lincoln today, please? No, I'm serious. How old? When was he born? I'm just curious about that. When was he born? Uh, let's see. He was. He died in 1864 or five, or was it four? 1864 or five? Uh, well, it's a long time? Happy birthday, dear Abe. Happy birthday, dear Abraham. Now, I'll tell you this. If you think I'm being sacrilegious or something, I'd have to uh, demur here. <laughs> That's a great word. I haven't demurred in a long time, but I'll have to demur here. I suppose if you demur, uh, that means to not mur. Is, is there a situation in which one murders? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have to uh, disagree, though, if you think that I'm being uh, sacrilegious about Mr. Lincoln. Because if there's anybody who obviously enjoyed a bit of ribald humor, it was the late Mr. Lincoln. He uh, indulged in a considerable, uh, considerable expense to his popularity among certain of his friends from time to time. So, uh, humor is never popular. Uh, of course, jokes are always popular, but real humor is not, because it tends to lose uh, all kinds. Of, it loses clients. It uh, <laughs> get you into bad, bad. You know. Speaking of humor, I would uh, an and American humor, of course. Tonight, I would like to salute the uh, the uh, Santa Fe, or rather than the New Mexico House of Representatives. You know, you, you didn't know they had a House of Representatives there in New Mexico. Well, they meet in Santa Fe, and uh, boy, if you think the old West is dead, friends. Uh, I have a little note here from the United Pacific or... No, it's actually the UP, uh, the UPI. The New Mexico House... I'm giving you the quote here directly here so that you don't confuse this. this is not uh, ad living here. The New Mexico House has voted to repeal an old law allowing a husband to shoot and kill his wife's lover if he catches the two in bed together. Now, it was not a unanimous vote. Uh, No way. In fact, it was 61 to six. There were six guys who held out. They must. I'd like to meet their wives. It must be an interesting family life going on there. But uh, nevertheless, 61 to six. However, you know, since this is the age of you know equal rights and women's living and all that stuff, some members who wanted to keep the law tried to get an amendment attached to it, giving women the same right to shoot uh, any uh, any bimbo. Uh, (laughs) caught in the act of, you know, you know the whole scene, see, you know, what's good for the good, you know, the whole bed. But it was defeated. Uh, That one was defeated soundly, universally, which says something very interesting. (laughs) In other words, the man with the right (laughs) Well, all right, think about it for a minute. All right, okay, I thought you'd think about it for a minute. That's all it takes, just a minute, that's all. I know your mind works like lightning. However, uh... You know these things. Uh, these things keep popping up. I kinda, kind of, kind uh, of, kind of like you know the things that happen. The West, you see, is is a is a place where abrupt direct action is a, is a tradition, and uh, that's as opposed to the fate East, which believes in committees, uh, round panel discussions, uh, subcommittees. Uh, it uh, also believes in sub rosa committees and ad hoc committees. You rarely find an ad hoc committee. Or a sub rosa committee, or a panel discussion going on in a place like Utah, for example, and uh, so the, the West is very different from the East, as you probably are aware. And that uh, we have a little note here from uh, from uh, Reno that shows you the direct action that occurs out in the West. Now we're all aware of of, of uh, vandalism right here in New York. Vandalism is a very petty thing in New York, and you know, somebody has a spray can and writes uh, Tico 134, you know. That's uh, called vandalism. That yeah, kind of piddling little stuff, trivial jazz. But here's uh, the West—they do it. I mean, they, they got the, they, there's tremendous style and verve in the West. You agree with that, Jim? It's very different. When they do it, they do it big. I mean, Bob Hope, for example, was building a twenty-nine thousand square foot house. Now that house would cover half of Connecticut uh, if we—if he if we try. It has a hundred foot swimming pool. That's hundred feet one way. <laughs> I mean, it's 110 feet the other way, you know. This is the West. This is, you know, you just men are big, women are huge, appetites are gargantuan. And, uh, you know, the, the monster stalks the land. Well, I would like to salute two Westerners, Reno and Nevada. Now, Nevada is a tradition of great Western activity. Many movies are shot, you know, riding over the plains of Nevada. Two 13-year-old boys smashed a new house with a bulldozer. They just flattened the house, and uh, it said that uh, they, they they got a little bug because the house was built on a place where they used to go rabbit hunting. And we quoted We got gotten mad about the whole thing. So they had gotten a whole... No, the, the article, by the way, does not say where these kids got a hold of a bulldozer and uh, how they learned how to drive one. Incidentally, Jim, I'll have to ask you a direct question. Would you know how to start and drive and operate a bulldozer if you ran into it? You would. Of course you would. Um naturally. You know, that's one thing about guys who can operate a turntable. They tend to think they can operate anything. Which is a great, a great mistake many of them make. (laughs) But uh, we have to salute that uh, um, that's the American West. Now, I don't know of any kid yet in, in the East here, in Brooklyn or Park Slope or any place, who bent upon malicious mischief, vandalism, has gotten a hold of a bulldozer and flattened the city hall. Only in the West. And so uh, we had to salute the West. These two kids flattened a brand new house. Probably it was a brand new one. People were going to move in the next day. These kids just flattened it with a bulldozer. Wiped off their hands and walked away. Now, that's that's big-time vandalism. That's going all the way. And uh, so, so our country has a fantastic tradition of the iconoclast. Uh, it's good or bad. I mean, I'm not going to say one way or the other. And since this is Lincoln's birthday... Uh, Mr. Lincoln was, in his own way, uh, a bit of an iconic class. and by the way, a hell of a wrestler. Uh, he was. He was a very good wrestler. Pretty tough guy, and uh, spent a lot of time in New York. Do you know that? He, uh, in fact, one of his most famous speeches that he made was made right down here on what we call uh, the East Village now. It was made in Cooper Union. A very famous speech, that uh, you know that uh, was largely responsible for him getting ultimately elected president. So, uh, we have a great tradition of involvement with Mr. Lincoln. And I personally can say that I, too, have. That uh, I had a traumatic experience with Mr. Lincoln one time. Not exactly Mr. Lincoln, but in a figure of speech, Mr. Lincoln. Every time we run into this, you know, this, this thing, it seems to come up once in a while, this Lincoln's birthday thing. It's amazing. It just keeps reappearing. And uh, I, I, every time it does... There's a curious feeling of deja vu sets in. And a curious, odd feeling of respect for Mr. Lincoln. Nothing to do with his presidency. And I'll, uh, do you mind if I tell you the story? Are you, are you interested in that story? Now, many of you are not interested in history. I will assure you this story is not necessarily about... By the way, that reminds me. That reminds me. How many of you are aware of the fact that Mr. Lincoln was one of the leading Jews' harp players of his day? He really seriously was. And uh, Mr. Lincoln, for those of you who are really interested in Americana, Mr. Lincoln, when he was touring around in uh, Illinois, trying to get elected to the legislature and stuff like that, they'd have these platform meetings. It was It was customary in those days to provide entertainment. Uh, today, the politician himself provides the entertainment with many of the things he says. I mean, you know, some of the some of our uh, politicians are reading some of the best unconscious comics we've got, uh, <laughs> listening to the material that they come out with. But uh, in Lincoln's day, it was customary to go out, and if you're going to, you know, touring the uh, the hustings, the hinterlands, um, you know, going around, make trying to make a few vote here and there. You'd go out and hire yourself a banjo player, and you'd get a guy that plays the bass drum, and uh, maybe even get a tap dancer. You know, if you really had a big budget, and uh, you'd uh, show up in a town. That's right. You'd show up in a town in a wagon. is the way they did it. You'd show up in this, this uh, like a, like a, well, it would be like a panel truck today, you know, but it's a wagon. See, it's got his name written all over, you know, Honest Abe. Uh, your vote for Abe is a vote for honesty. All right, you know, your vote for Abe is a vote to rot them rascals out, or whatever he has. See, and he writes this all over, big bunting all over the place. And they'd stop in the middle of the town, and they would get their permission from the police department, or whatever they had to have, and uh, they'd open up the back of the wagon. It would be announced that at 8 p.m. that night, there would be a speech by the candidate. Well, of course, there wasn't much happening at places like Alton in Illinois in those days. You know, guys, the biggest thing in a town like Alton, Illinois, in those days, was an occasional uh, husband finding his wife in a sack with somebody. And there would be a little excitement about that for a while after he plugged the guy seven times uh, with his Derringer. And, you know, it was a rough, mean time. I mean, those those were hairy, rough days. And the environment was uh, was basic, and and uh, it was like uh, Daniel in the lion's den most of the time. Which reminds me this is W O R New York, and uh, guess who's the lion and guess who's Daniel. However, uh, the uh... <laughs> uh, George, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it's terrible what the mind will do. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the, those days were a very interesting days. So the the candidate would show up, see, and uh, he would. Uh, it's 8 o'clock, and there's not much happening in, in Alton, Illinois. I'm taking a town, just a, you know, just a typical town, Alton, Illinois. The farmer's living around out there, and once in a while on Saturday afternoon, they would come in and buy another horse collar, and that's about it. You know, they talk about that for weeks on end, the new horse collar. And uh, life was a different thing. It was a slow-paced thing, and people lived to be, oh, maybe two or 300 years old in those days. It was not at all uncommon. Heart attacks, did you know that heart attacks were practically unknown in those days? Guys never died of a heart attack. Uh, You know, ulcers, they never heard from ulcers, although they did die of curious things like the croup, uh, various diseases which have disappeared. (laughs) The croup and whooping cough, and curious things of that type. And and, uh, people would get things called the vapors. Uh, I, from time to time, think that I have the vapors in my office. But actually what it is is what we call memoranda withdrawal symptoms. Uh, after, you know, the Monday w- memoranda pile up on your desk and for 15, 20 minutes, an hour after you've read them through, you have a wooziness around the head, the occasional difficulty of breathing. And uh, once in a while you find your nose sweating badly as a result of this. And they, this is what would have been called the vapors in 1812, but now it's just uh, memoranda withdrawal symptoms. That's all. It goes away by six, seven o'clock at night. But uh, in those days... People have lived long, very uneventful lives. So the question arises, and it always has uh, bugged people, would you rather live a short, violently, fantastically, excruciatingly exciting life? Or a long, uh, languid, totally uh, uh, uneventful life? Which would you prefer? Not an easy question. You know, when you're in your 109th year... And for the last uh, 103 years, you've been sitting on the same bench in front of the feed store. And the biggest excitement is once in a while a leaf falls off the tree across the street. Uh, or a dog goes by and raises his leg on the A&P down in the next block and everybody watches and applauds. Uh, it's a question, you know. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the bucolic life is not entirely without its, uh, without its problems. So on a night, on the occasion of the visiting of a major uh, candidate, he would show up and there would be billboards pasted around town saying that Honest Abe is appearing at the corner of, uh, of Main Street and River Street uh, right in front of the feed store. And he would be there at 8 p.m. It will be a gala and the candidate will discuss the issues of the day, which were all academic because there were no issues in all all, the Whether The main issues was whether or not the ladybugs would come back in the spring or whether or not the locusts would return in the fall, and that was about it. Whether it would be a bad winter due to the fact that the uh, caterpillars had a heavy fur coat on them this summer, that was the issues of the day. And, of course, a candidate is not prepared to discuss the caterpillar issue, although many of them did. And so, at 8 o'clock, the the townspeople would gather. It's a big event, you know. They didn't care whether, you know, he said anything great or not, but at least there was something to do. So they would all stand around 8 o'clock, and the wagon would be pulled up, the torch lights would be lit, and it was a kind of a groovy thing. They would all stand around, wait for the action. Well, the action consisted of the back of the wagon opening up, and there would be a great roar of applause at that. Everything, it's just like guys uh, who are in the army, Uh, Tend to make a great issue over little things because there's not much happens for years on end in the Army. You sit there year after year and about the biggest thing is you've got a new can of kiwi shoe polish. And uh, everyone sits around, looks at your can of kiwi shoe polish and you make a big issue of opening. You you may take 15, 20, maybe even sometimes a whole day just getting the can open. And then uh, looking for a rag. You can make... A new can of Kiwi shoe polish lasts upwards of a week if you properly milk it. And so events are hard to come by in a little town like this. So the wagon would open up and everyone would cheer the wagon. Then they would cheer the fact that a guy got out and pulled the tailboard down. That was another big motion. See, they cheered that one. At that point, out would come the paid entertainer would come out. This is the show. He would come out and... Uh, they used megaphones in those days. You know, they had these big megaphones. It, it was an early PA system, an early bullhorn. Bullhorn really is only a, a, a transistorized megaphone is what it is. They, so he would get out and he'd say, Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to greet the candidate for the Congress of these United States, the Honorable and Honest and Fearless Abraham Lincoln. But before we do that, ladies and gentlemen... I would like to introduce to you Doc Watanabe and his famous magic singing ukulele. And, and out would come this guy. See, and he's playing away. And uh, this this is what they came for. He'd come out. He was, the, you know, the paid entertainer, and he would play the thing. Well, the thing that made Lincoln unusual is that Lincoln would come out and himself. And he had this guy that would introduce him. the guy would introduce him and say, uh, we have now the Honorable Lincoln. And Lincoln would walk out gigantic. I mean, six foot six or something like that. And what a ball player he would have made! Anyway, he's six foot six inches tall. He weighed about eighty two pounds in those days. He would walk out there, and uh, looking very, uh, very dignified. He had a curious uh, dignity about him, even at the age of twelve. He would walk out on the on the tailgate, and he would uh, take this out of his pocket. and He would wipe it off and he would start playing. He was a fantastic Jewish art player. And he'd have the crowd cheering and yelling. He would play Turkey in the Straw, you know. And they'd all start singing. Well, for about a half an hour, Abe Lincoln would entertain the crowd playing his Jews' harp. There are actually written accounts of that around. And I'm not ad libbing this or kidding you. The, the Jews' harp, not an easy instrument to play, was mastered by Mr. Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln himself uh, never gave it up. Of course, the Jews' harp is like any other religion. You, uh, you can always uh, try to get away from it, but you never really do. Uh, you've, you've been formed by it. And, and, and when he got into the White House... Uh, he used to, uh, occasionally, late at night, he would take out his Jews' harp and he would play for selected friends. He would give a little Jews' harp concerto. Very good Jews' harp. In fact, he was good enough that in those days, uh, people would come from miles just to hear that damn Jews' harp. They didn't care what he was going to say. It was his Jews' harp. So, Lincoln, uh, you know, has, has, uh, has more than a little going for him. And uh, to people who think of Lincoln, you know, he has this solemn look on his face. But actually, he was a very funny guy and uh, had a had a cool, sardonic, cutting wit. And uh, we, he was he was uh, feared by everybody who attempted to debate with him. And, uh, of course, you, you've seen pictures of his, uh, the way he dressed, which is not unusual. Of course, in those days, that's the way everybody else dressed. So uh, Lincoln was not uh, being totally, you know, don't, totally a... You know, a complete hippie by that big, tall hat and all that jazz. In those days, they all wore that. So uh, he, <laughs> he was just in keeping with the styles of the day. But my connection with Lincoln is somewhat more tenuous. And it came about this way. Now, we've all gone to school, uh, presumably. And the, you know the various little things that are celebrated in various schools. Uh, with, For example, even to this day uh, in schools... There's a little flurry of excitement around Valentine's Day. Uh, they, You know, the kids start whipping out with the scissors and the, the red paper and the hearts and the paper lace and all that. Yes, this is a, you know, thing. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at this point uh, in high school. It used to have uh, an occasional... We, in our school system, we used to alternate. One year, we would take off school, no school, on uh, George Washington's birthday and go to school on Lincoln's birthday, and the next year we would alternate. Did they do that here? Or did you just take them both off? Just one? Washington, you didn't take off for Lincoln's birthday. Well, that's of course making a value judgment, you understand that. Uh, yes, Jim, you took them both off. Well, of course, you you live, you're truly an Easterner, where they take every occasion to get off from school. Uh, <laughs> that's the truth. I mean, it strikes and the whole bit. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, in our school, it would alternate, see? One year we'd go, one year we would n- not go, depending on, you know, the, the year. Well, on this particular occasion, I am, uh, at this time, I'm a freshman in high school. It's a, my first big uh, uh, celebration in high school. I'm a freshman. And I am playing the B-flat sousaphone. And, the, you know, everybody's got to have his problem. I, my problem was the B-flat sousaphone. I, I learned to play this earlier in grade school, and now I am an accomplished B-flat sousaphone man. And I am playing in the high school band. We had a big concert band. We also had a marching band. The concert band was a different thing. concert band was a full concert band. It had everything. You know, it had piccolos, flutes, spiels It had timpani. It had, you know... Uh, a, a marching band is, is much more of a compact thing. It's a marching band. But a concert band is something else. A big... We had piccolos. We had all kinds of... We, in fact, we had a great big set of, uh, of uh, chimes that we would use in the music and all that stuff. And seven basses, tremendous sousaphones back there. We had upright tubas and the whole bit. hundred and fifteen pieces. Well, we had this tremendous auditorium. And it sat uh, like uh, 3,000 kids, 2,000 something like that. It was a big school. And a stage. And every time we would have an auditorium session one of the great things about being in the band was that the band would play for the auditorium session you know play when the kids come in and play when they go out and uh, we would sit down in the pit a, like a regular pit an orchestra pit see and uh, <laughs> and the great thing about this our auditorium sessions were always in two sections in other words they couldn't put the whole school in this in the auditorium session at once so they would put like the half of the school from A to through M or something like that, or from room 102 through through 209 would be in one section, and the next section would come in, like two shows. See, we'd have two of them. And we would play for both of them, and that was kind of great because you got out of school. You're down there playing for the auditorium session. Well, on this particular occasion, the day before, and we're going to have this big auditorium session. It's going to be for for, uh, Mr. Lincoln's birthday. Well, of course, they never announced early before the auditorium what it was going to be about. But it was going to be on Lincoln's birthday, so we, you know... uh, You you can put two and two together, even when you're a kid. You know, in spite of the well-known and certainly efficacious uh, uh, scrambled egg theory, which many doctors are beginning to seriously believe, that we're all born with the equivalent of scrambled eggs between our ears. And gradually, as we get older, the eggs solidify, and by the 17th year the eggs are capable of rudimentary thought. And uh, by our 20th and 21st year, it's beginning to function as a full-fledged brain. But at that time, I had nothing but these very soft, scrambled eggs between the ears, you know. And so I'm, you know, take it as it comes. And uh, <laughs> on this particular case, the day before, we're, we're in, in band rehearsal. And Mr. Dirks, our band director hands out the sheet music of a piece of music we had never played before. At this time, we would play all the same usual stuff. You know, we'd play, uh, you know, stuff like uh, the Double Eagle March. Uh, we would play things like, uh, well, there were a lot of great things, like like uh, we had about uh, seven different versions of the Overture to 1812. Uh, we played, uh, you know, that was our classical music. We played things like, uh, yeah, you know, the classical, uh, like the Blue Danube. Bands are always playing stuff like that. And he passes out this piece of sheet music. He said, that we want to rehearse this because we're going to use this tomorrow. So we did. And uh, it was kind of a fun piece of music. We played it. We had a good time playing it. And uh, everybody's uh, laughing. away. Every time you get a new piece of music, it's kind of an adventure, you know, You're reading through the thing. So the next day, was 10:15 a.m. in the morning. Uh between classes, the bell rings, and so we immediately rush down to the band room. The band is going to play for the auditorium session. We get our instruments, go down into the pit, and uh, five minutes later, Mr. Derricks gives us the downbeat, as uh, we call it in the music trade. Uh, He gives us the downbeat, and there I am. Now, remember, I'm sitting in the pit. I'm wearing my sousaphone. Now, sousaphone is the big instrument, the one with the big bell over your head. You know, it rests on your shoulder. The tuba is an upright instrument that does not rest on your shoulder. I keep berating my my listeners who keep confusing the tuba with the sousaphone. They're two different things. And uh, so, I'm sitting there right in the back of the band. See, the, the, the sousaphone players played in the rear of the band, as they always do. And that would put my back right up against the stage. In fact, the the apron of the stage... The lip of the stage was right even with the top of my head. So I'm sitting right by the stage. Next to me is Schwartz on one side, Ernie Dunker's on the other side, two Sterling bass players. And Mr. Dirks, uh, the kids are starting to come in the auditorium. You could see the doors way at the other end opening up. And the kids are coming in, you know, carrying their books, looking bored. And uh, Mr. Dirks taps on the thing. He used to go, you know, like that. Okay. And he gives us the beat, and we start And Roger Bean Blossom, our sterling trap drun player, picks up the beat. This is what it was. You'll have to excuse the scratch, but that's part of Americana too. Scratchy records. That's kind of nice, isn't it? This is the bass. See? We always played the NC4 march every damn auditorium session, but this was different. Look at like see, and and Bean Blossom, who played the trap drums, he loved listen to those trumpets. Ours didn't sound quite like that, but uh, you know, this is what Bean Blossom was. that trap drum singer, I love this. This real tall pastry, and he'd swing a stick around. Oh, man. <laughs> Shh, 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 shh. It's supposed to march you off into the distance. Shh, shh, shh. Roger B. Blossom's playing quietly. There, reset that, Jim, please. We will use that later. Well, at that point, we have played the the entrance music to the auditorium session. Our principal, who was sitting up on the stage, directly to my right. And off by the wings. We had a, I'll tell you, we had a principal, I mean, who looked like a principal. Have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen uh, these old Andy Hardy movies? You ever see Judge Hardy? Well, we had a principal that looked like Judge Hardy. I mean, he was a principal. You know, principals that I've run into lately tend to be little short, fat guys with pink shades. And uh yeah, they do <laughs> very very dip- no wonder the kids are <laughs> losing respect you know <laughs> and, and, you know there, so many of them and, you know, big hair hanging down all that, and uh, the, of course, they think they're with it, but actually, this is not what a an authoritarian figure must be, but we had a genuine one, you know he's gray he had uh, he had uh, he had a suit that looked like it was made out of gray sandpaper, and uh he had a piercing eye. And he spoke in this clear, level, absolutely uh, don't fool around voice. I never saw this. There's no way. You couldn't think of this guy laughing. And so we finished playing the overture. And as silence falls, Mr. Dirk sits down, and I'm sitting there with my horn on, see? Because we never took our horn off during the, the entire auditorium. So we didn't have room back there, see? So we just sat there with the horn. And, uh... I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. And the curtain is down. Directly behind me I had this, this kind of a faded purple curtain. Our school's color, the color of the school was kind of a faded purple and tattletale gray was the color of our football suits and the whole thing, see? So, uh, I'm sitting there waiting and Mr. Mr. Spone, the principal, gets up, walks to the center of the stage. It says the following I have a, a few announcements to make. There will be a meeting of the Girls Biology Club, room 203, at 4 p.m. this afternoon. All pupils who have not filled out the blue form, the uh, one that uh, was given to you today in your advisory, will please have that filled out and in the office by. 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. I have one more announcement here. There will be a... Let's see. There will be a disciplinary meeting of the track team. And all of you members know who you are on the track team that are to be disciplined this week. You will report to Mr. Easton down in the gym at 3.30. This is mandatory. You will be there. And now, boys and girls, we have today a very rare experience in store for us. This is Abraham Lincoln's birthday, one of the great presidents of these United States. We have a very rare experience for you today. And I'm sitting there, see? Mr. Spohn is talking. He's a little bit to my right, right above me, see? I look up and he's tall. And I am aware of a very curious phenomenon, the strangely, hauntingly familiar smell I'm sitting, I can't think what the hell it is, strange smell, it's familiar, yet somehow it didn't fit where I was, you know, smells tend to be familiar only in their context, so, you know, it's like if you go into a, a, a garage where they're repairing your car and you smell somebody baking an apple pie, that's a curious it's a contradiction. I'm smelling the smell. See, I can't smell walking around. And I know the Schwartz is kinda of walking around too, see. and the thing that had me to smell, smell, it's it reminds me of somebody. I can't it's it smell. Mr Spone is going on about this great experience we're gonna have, blah, 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 and I can see the kids sort of mumbling and looking around. You know how kids are. You can see the whole auditorium there scratching and some are, you know, looking at each other and all that stuff. And I could see directly ahead of me my advisor, Miss Snyder, who's sitting right on my aisle and uh, who's looking right at me with these steel gray rimless glasses. I'm looking at her. We're looking at each other. I'm squatting under my, my sousaphone. I smell the smell. Well... Spohn continues to drone on he loved to talk I glance back and I see the curtain is right down to the stage you see directly behind me but there's about uh, maybe an inch and a half clearance you can see a little crack under the curtain you can see the stage back there and I see these two shoes are standing directly behind the curtain big black shoes I can see them there right behind right over my left shoulder I smell a smell, a very familiar smell. Can't figure out what it is. And at that point, Mr. Spoon says, And now, boys and girls, I want you to pay strict attention to what you are about to hear and see today. This is a very memorable experience, and I know that all of you will treasure the memory of this morning's auditorium session and walked off the stage and the curtain up it goes I look back over my shoulder, and I see all the kids sitting up all of a sudden Yet I can see the whole auditorium sit up straight I look back by God there is Abe Lincoln Abraham Lincoln is standing right there I mean, that guy, there was a guy who looked so much like Lincoln. It was fantastic. He looked like those pictures. had these big, black, long trousers. He must have been seven feet tall. had a long, black, shiny, coat, black string tie, a tremendous black beard, piercing eyes, high cheekbone. He had this stovepipe hat, and he, he had a cape on. And he was carrying what looked like a knobbly cane. And he's looking out with these piercing eyes. Smell a strange, familiar smell. I can figure out what it is. He looks out over the auditorium. The whole auditorium is looking at him. Dead silence. Then he started to talk. Heavy, rich voice. Four score and seven years ago, he stopped. He looked out at the auditorium. didn't say anything. Then he started again. Four score and seven years ago. Four score and seven years ago. And I can see now... As I'm looking straight up, that he is swaying slightly. Stovepipe hat is describing an arc across the ceiling of the stage. And he starts again. Four score and seven years ago. And the kids are starting to giggle, snicker. And then I recognize the smell that elusive aroma. It was the same smell that I always smelled around my Uncle Carl. My drunken Uncle Carl. My drunken Abraham Lincoln is drunk. Abe Lincoln is bombed. And he kept saying that. Four score and seven years ago, uh, uh, four score... Mr. Spone suddenly came out on the stage. He motioned with his right hand. Down come the curtain. Now, boys and girls, there has been a slight change in our program today. And uh, we will continue with our program in just a moment. Miss Fife of uh, the English Department will entertain you with her... Stories about her very interesting trip to Wales last year. And she did. And then we played the overture. After the auditorium session, we all marched out. Abe Lincoln was drunk. The next auditorium session, in which we played the same. Overture 2 featured Miss Fife with her illustrated slide lecture on the folk songs and the illustrated wonderful sights of, of Wales, as I experienced on my trip last summer, boys and girls. Do you of know these voices? Have ever had a chance to disappoint those boys and girls? And nobody mentioned Abraham Lincoln. little did I realize it was going to be a, and was, a truly, a truly educational auditorium session. I've never forgotten it. And here it is, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. By the the way, uh, that that portrayal, I understand, wasn't too inaccurate Old Honest, he liked his bourbon now and again (laughs) Playing his jew's harp, sitting around telling bawdy stories They say that he had some of the greatest dirty stories ever heard In the vicinity of Pennsylvania Avenue But that's neither here nor there and so tonight, the old honest, the old Abe, all we can say is, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Abraham Lincoln. Happy birthday to you. I think he'd appreciated that actor. He never came back to the school, as far as I know. In fact, I know he never came back to the school. It was an exciting auditorium session. And uh, by the way, the kids in the second section who did not get that fantastic scene to this day rule the fact that they were in the second section and not the first. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is W.